This is Inside the Apple Studio, the podcast that details the intersection of architecture and Apple and explores how architects and other design professionals use Apple products in the practice of architecture. With your host, architect Neil Pan. Support for Inside the Apple Studio comes from Monograph. Monograph is the cloud-based practice operations solution built for architects by architects. Learn how Monograph can help you be more productive at monograph.com. Welcome to Inside the Apple Studio. I'm happy to have someone who is currently working towards obtaining an architectural license, but has been designing and practicing as a qualified design draftsperson for several years. He also has more than a passing interest in astronomy, even hosting his own podcast on the subject. I'm pleased to welcome Mark Iscaro to the show. Welcome, Mark. Thank you for having me. Well, I'm excited to have you here. So let's dive right in with our first question for you. And it's kind of a larger kind of general question, but what inspired you to want to become an architect? Okay, so... When I was younger, I would have been about seven or eight years old, I used to sit out the front of my house with a sketchbook and draw the houses in the street. Uh, and I just always liked drawing houses for some reason. I don't know where, where it came from. My mother's a very creative person. She uh, is a very good artist, uh, very good poet. Uh, she won't say she is, but she, she's very good at it. Uh, and I think maybe I, I got that from her. Um, but I used to sit outside and just draw the streets, um, draw the houses, and then I would nag her to take me to, um, and I'm assuming in America you have display homes where you have a street of six or seven houses from a building company that you can walk through to see if you like the floor plans. and Yeah. See if, yeah. So we would, I would nag her to take me through those and we would go, go and walk through those and I would take the floor plans that they had and take them home and design my own houses um, for fun. And I got it in my head that it was only two things, or sorry, three things in life that I wanted to be. Um, one was an astronaut, one was um, an architect, and the other one was an archaeologist. I don't know why they all started with A, but they did. <laughs> and the only one that I felt, uh, well, the one that I really felt drawn towards was was architecture. So from a young age, I was always drawing in, in high school. Um, when we had graphic design, I would design um, series of house plans. So... Um, I would design one floor plan and variations of it and different facades, and that were, they were my submissions for school for projects. Um, so that's sort of where my desire or passion to become an architect came from. Um, just has always sort of been there. I've always just felt that that's the one job that I really wanted to always do, um, and I've done everything I can to, to get into that field. As part of that, as listeners can likely tell from your accent, you're from Australia. Now, I wanted to ask you about a system that is there where you can become a qualified architectural design slash draft person that is there in Australia. Uh, can you explain a little bit about what that is and what it takes to obtain such a qualification? Yeah, so I was a bit of a, a rebel when I was a teenager. So every time my parents said, you've got to do your homework, you've got to do this, I, I would... Um, rebel against that and I didn't really do it properly so I didn't do high school we call it high schools we don't have um what do you guys have um you have two different forms of high school I believe 
just the four-year nine through 12 grade, um, but earlier you have the middle school, which is a few grades before that. Middle school, yeah. So we don't have middle school. We don't have middle school. So we have, uh, you finish, um, you go from year, year, year seven. So you, all, all of our middle school through to high school is all in the same school. It's all the same okay, thing. Okay, sure. Um, and I sort of was a bit rebellious and therefore I didn't really do my homework properly um, and I didn't get the grades that I needed to get into architecture. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I thought, well, how else can I go about doing this? Because I want to be an architect and I want to be in this industry. And then I came across um, this course at uh, what we call TAFE, which is like a step below architect- uh, bit below university. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it was a, an associate diploma of building design, sorry, associate diploma of architectural design and drafting. Um, so I started studying that. And then at the same time, um, I went and got a full-time job as, uh, as a steel stru- structural detailer for an engineering firm. So I started to learn about steel design, um, uh, structural design, and, and what architects were trying to push uh, while I was studying uh, architectural design and drafting at TAFE. And then when you finish that TAFE course, it's only a two-year TAFE course, um, and then you can do an extra year, which I did to sort of give you sort of more commercial qualifications. Uh, and then you have to sit tests like you do as an architect. So I had to study and sit tests and pass tests. And I have to, every year I pay my um, public liability and professional indemnity insurance. And I have to be registered with uh, what we call the building practitioners board over here. Um, and if I let my license expire, then I have to go and sit all the tests again. But basically it's almost like a, a, a miniature version of a qualified architect. So I can do almost everything that an architect can do. Um, I can't tender for government contracts and I can't design structures. It may have changed. I probably should check on this. But uh, last I checked, I can't design structures over 10 storeys high. Wow. Um, but everything else I can do. So I can do normal apartment complexes with basements. I've got one of those that I'm working on at the moment. I can do aged care facilities, which I've got one that I'm working on at the moment. I can design new homes. Um, I can do townhouse developments, uh, renovations, extensions. Uh, I've got my own registration number. Um, so I can sign off on those drawings to go to building surveyors for building permits for builders to build from. Um, and I do all of the construction drawings as well. So I've got to work out how the buildings are going to be built and I have to sign off on them. And if something's not done right, it's, uh, it's like the architect is the person to blame. I'm the person to blame. Right. Uh, it's a little bit different, but you can obviously you can go to uni as well, and architects get paid a lot more over here than building uh, building designers. Um, oh, so that's probably one key difference. Uh, it sounds very. I mean, you can do a quite a lot. Yeah, you're you're not very limited on the type project types, but uh, it sounds like the pay is probably the biggest difference. Yes, yeah. For some people, that's important. For people like me, I'm not too fussed as long as I can make a living. I'm, I'm happy. I'm not here to be um, the richest architect or building designer going around. I, I just enjoy doing what I do and um, want to have a, a job that allows me the flexibility to do the other things that are important to me as well. So similar to the United States and Canada and I assume other countries as well, a bachelor or a master's degree in architecture from an accredited university is required to be eligible to test for a license. Now, you're currently studying architecture at the university in Perth? Yes. Yeah. Since you can do all of the things you can do, why are you trying to get a degree now? 
or what you're thinking <laughs> about getting that degree now? I, I get asked that question a lot, actually. Why would you go back to school? Um, it's not for any other purpose than a personal goal. Um, as I said to you, when I was younger, I wanted to be an architect. It was one thing I wanted to do. Um, and then I stuffed that process up myself through being um, a, a rat bag of rebellious teen. And <laughs> I'm doing it purely and simply because I want to be an architect. Uh, I know I, I'm, I'm probably, um, without blowing my own trumpet, I can design and document as good, if not better, than quite a lot of architects that are actually qualified. Um, and, you know, I could have got um, exemptions from half the course but I chose not to. I chose to start it from first year and do all of the very basic stuff that uh, everyone else has to do So, because I wanted to do it properly. Uh, I wanted to get to the end of the course and come out at the end and go, okay, I am now a qualified architect. It won't change the way I do my work. It won't change the way I charge. It won't change anything really other than I'll finally have achieved one of the goals I had from when I was about eight years old. Well, it's a very personal goal. I'm, it sounds very much like something that you should and need to do. Yeah, it's pretty much it. It's, it's just I, I'm not doing it for anybody else but myself. Well, and that's the most important thing. So where are you at in the process currently? I'm just about to finish my third year. Um, so I've got one and a half years worth of classes left to go, which will take me probably about Probably take me about two and a half to three years to actually do because you cannot go working full time um, with all the other pastimes that I have as well. Um, I can't do the number of classes that full full time uni students can do. I'll do one class or two classes a semester, not three or four. So it takes a little bit longer to get done. So probably in about two two to three years, I should have it finished up. Now you're attending university currently online. Is that due to the pandemic? Yes. No. Um, <laughs> Yes and no. Yes, it is due to the pandemic because you can't go to classes in person, but no, because Perth is, well, it would be four and a half thousand or 4,000 kilometres away from where I am. Okay. So, it's on, so I'm on the east coast of Australia and Perth is on the west coast of Australia. So it would take, you know, four days to drive there. <laughs> so, and it's... Um, I, I did toy with the idea of going back to university on campus, um, but the only place in Melbourne that I could, or in Victoria, that I could get on campus was down in a place called Geelong, which is about an hour and a half's drive away. Mm. Uh, I toyed with that many years ago, but it would have meant um, uprooting um, my life and moving down there, which was just something I wasn't prepared to do. So I sort of sat back and then this opportunity at Perth came up to do a, a university course online. Uh, it was the first online architecture course in Australia, um, and it, I think it was only a year and a half ago it got fully accredited. So it is a fully accredited university course, so anyone who finishes it will come out at the end as an architect. Um, and it just made it easier. It meant that I could work full-time still, study, and still see my family. What's it like studying architecture online? Very different to what I thought it would be like. Um, the, it's very hard to build models from scratch and then have to photograph them to submit them instead of taking them into class. So when I did the TAFE course, we still had to do models and things like that. And you would do them in class, obviously, you know, and, and the teacher would, 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 or the lecturer would look at them and work with you through on the issues. But these days it's literally you're in a Microsoft Teams or a Zoom or a, a whatever it might be. Everyone's in there talking and trying to present their, their vision on a screen. 
Um, so it's very different from that point of view. Uh, the very first class we did actually, they actually, they actually got us in first year to, um, they set up a Minecraft <laughs> world for all of the students to go in and build things. Um, really? Yeah, I thought it was quite surprising. I actually had to get my son to show me how to use Minecraft <laughs> when I first started. So I thought it was a very unique way of introducing people to the world of architecture. Um, and, and now my daughter will design buildings in Minecraft and ask me, ask me if, um, if, if she would get a building permit for them based on how she's drawn them or built them in Minecraft. So, yeah, uh, very different, very different. They might be great design projects, but the waterproofing might be an issue with Minecraft. Yes. <laughs> so you said you were using Zoom or some other sort of online visual tool to uh, to present. Is that like you share your screen and you just have to show photos of your project and then talk about them and then? Pretty much, yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Um, and as the years have gone on studying it, they've shifted away from physical models and starting to push into 3D modeling and, and things like that. So it becomes a lot easier because you can start to pan around or create fly-throughs and, and whatnot as you're trying to show people what you do. But it's showing teachers and explaining to teachers on paper and on on uh, a live video what your vision is is very difficult. Um, but I suppose the pandemic has helped because um, in Melbourne we're still in lockdown. Um, which means all of my client meetings for my actual work are all online anyway. So the last year and a half has probably helped a lot from a study point of view to learn how to present ideas and concepts to clients when you're not sitting face-to-face with them and you can physically show them. Um, I've always found in in in-person meetings or in-person classes, it's easier when you're sitting across from the person to get your idea across. Um, So the last year and a half, nearly a year and a half now, um, I've learnt from a school point of view, to transpose it into my work of how to get my ideas across visually on a computer screen. Um, so it's been good from that point of view as well. Now, are you taking some additional classes like a regular university schedule as well, or are you just able to focus on the architecture curriculum? Uh, I had to choose one class that was, wasn't related to architecture. I chose a, a business um, business administration um, class to do mainly because uh, as good as I am at designing things um, and as creative as I am I suck at business management I, I'm not good at that that's uh, not a good thing to to not be good at when you run your own business <laughs> well that seems to be something very common with a lot of architects so you're really getting a chance to take advantage of the fact that you're back in school while you're running your own business and have the advantage of taking additional business classes. Yeah, it's taught me to work smarter, not harder. Uh, That's for sure. While you're doing the university and running your own business, how are you managing the work-life balance and all of that? Um, Throw um, remote learning in there uh, because my wife works full-time. So she's going in because she's in in the health industry and health is an essential service. Uh, So while we're in lockdown, um, not only am I doing that, I'm also doing remote learning for, two, for my two children. My 14-year-old's okay. He gets up and goes to online classes, but my daughter's eight, so she requires me to sit with her and teach her. So it's really, it's difficult. So my morning, so from 9 o'clock to 12 o'clock when it's in school, it's it's working with Sadie doing her schoolwork. From midday till about 5 or 6 is client work. 
Um, so really I get six hours a day to try and get everything done. So it's all about being as efficient as I can. Um, dinner after that, uh, when I have a class, I don't have any classes at the moment. They start again in about two weeks' time. It'll be sort of nine o'clock till one or two in the morning working on university stuff. Uh, and somewhere in amongst all of that, doing the astronomy stuff that I do and doing the podcasting and hiking as well when we're allowed to get out again. Um, yeah, it's just all about being as efficient as I can and I've become so much more efficient uh, over the last 12 months. What are the kind of things are you doing to be more efficient? Um, streamlining design processes, um, streamlining. So I, I was very lazy in the world of detailing um, and as in CAD document blocks for details. So I would draw every detail from scratch in every project because they're all, they're all unique projects. Whereas now I've come to realise, well, yeah, they're all unique projects, but I have such a – my style is the same essentially through every project. And even though the details may be slightly different, why am I drawing them from scratch every single time? That's just silly. So now I will drag a, a detail from another project or from a block, bring it in, and just adjust it to suit the project I'm working on. And it saves so much time. It's one of those things that you get so engrossed in just doing your work that you forget that there's a much more efficient way to do it that you've should have been doing for years but haven't because you didn't need to manage it. I didn't need to manage my time before the pandemic. I'd go to work and I'd, or I'd work from home all day and I'd work at night if I needed to. Um, whereas now it's like, well, I only have this amount of time. What can I do that's going to be much more efficient um, to get things done? Um, also working differently with councils, local councils. So um, previously you would come up with a design the client would say yes let's let's go to planning you do all of the drawings the planning drawings the reports and you'd submit it and then you'd spend months arguing with council um and now what we what i've started to do is do what, what we call a, a site yield diagram so it's basically is roughly where the building's going to go here's some setbacks send it into council and say what do you think are we on the right track they give us the feedback say change this change that we're happy with this we're happy with that which means when we get to council for a proper planning application, we're not arguing over silly little things and wasting time in meetings. Um, and that's the other one as well, meetings. I have less meetings now, a lot less meetings than I used to have. A lot of it is done via email now. Um, I used to have builders and, and developers want to have meetings all the time about the simplest things um, that you didn't really need a meeting for. Um, or the builder would say, I need you out on site to clarify this question. Uh, and COVID has helped in that way that builders have learnt to FaceTime and show me what the issue is so we can resolve it on the spot while I'm still in the office. I don't have to go out to site. We can work out a solution that way. And, you know, some sites might be 40 minutes away. So it's 40 minutes out there. It's, for, you know, at least sometimes an hour on site because you end up talking about things that you don't need to talk about and then 40 minutes back and there's, you know, there's nearly three hours of a day gone. Right. Um, so... There's sort of things, the sort of things that I've been doing to streamline my time. So after you obtain your degree in the next two to three years, what's the next steps in Australia to getting a license to practice architecture? Um, you have to do a certain amount of time working underneath a registered architect. Um, can't remember exactly how long it is. I think it's two years worth. Uh, I won't have to do that. I've already spoken to the uh, Australian Institute of Architects and to the building practitioners boards and things like that. And, um, I can be exempt from that because I've been practicing as a building designer for well over 20 years now. Um, so that I don't have to do, but I will have to 
um, study and sit exams before I can become fully registered. So that'll probably add another six to 12 months on um, to do. Now, how many exams are there in Australia? Honestly, I haven't really looked. <laughs> <laughs> That's a bridge you'll cross when you get That's there. A bridge. Yeah, it is. It is. Um, I'm not actually sure. It's, I, I sort of, that one I'm, I'm leaving because I don't know when I'm going to get there. Um, and it could be different in two years' time when I do actually get there than what it is now. Uh, I don't want to stress myself over something that might not be the same when I get there. So you own your own business, that, and that's the Madden Building Group? Yeah. Yep. Okay. So, and from our previous conversation, it sounds like you're the only one and you do everything? It's just me. Yep. Me, myself, and I. So I design, document, plan, uh, the works, do all the reports, organize all the external consultants, specify projects for my clients. So That's a big job. It is a big job, yes. It's, uh, there's a lot in it. That's what I'm saying. It's all, all I've pushed myself down the path of templates, um, template-driven, so, which I never used to do. Um, I would just do a project by itself and work one project to the next project and then start everything from scratch again, which is a really silly way of, of working. It was very inefficient. Um, uh, the last two years has just been all about making myself as efficient as I can. So. So looking at your work, I describe it just very plainly as clean and modern. Yep. It's beautiful work. What architects are you influenced by and what's your favorite style of architecture? How would you describe it? That's easy. Mid-century architecture is by far my favorite style. Um, There's a local architect in Melbourne uh, who was around in the 60s and 70s called Guilford Bell. Um, he designed some beautiful streamlined sort of buildings in the Bayside area where I live. Um, so his work has been very influential to me. Uh, Richard Neutra as well. I love Richard Neutra's work. Um, Pierre Koenig as well. Um, not so much this. I mean, the style house is beautiful, but I like some of his other work that he, that he did as well. Um, his own house, for instance, with quite a nice uh, structure. Um, everyone loves Frank Lloyd Wright's. Um, very good architect, but those are the sort of guys. So mainly, sort of the mid-century guys. Um, probably most, most, mostly Neutra and um, Guilford Bell would be the two biggest influences on me architecturally. Do your clients come to you for that style now that you've been practicing for a while and you've got some projects that are all built that exude that? Do they come to you for that style or do they come to you and you've got to convince them to move in that direction? No, they come to me for that style. So I don't advertise at all. Um, I don't do any marketing or promotions whatsoever. Uh, And I've been doing it so long now that I have developers that specifically want that style um, and clients see their work and want me to design in that style as well. Um, So yeah, I've, I guess I've made a bit of a name locally for that particular style of architecture, Mm -hmm. which is a nice thing to know um, that people can drive past and go, oh, that's one of Mark's buildings. Well, that's nice that you don't have to to advertise and that your buildings do the advertising for you. Yeah. That's one thing I always wanted when I I started my business was to not have to stress about where the work's coming from. uh, you know, for instance, at the moment I'm working with a one developer in particular who um, we, we've we've signed an agreement that uh, he, he will pass through to me 15 projects a year. Wow! Yeah, so that's most of my work for the year 
sign up and then everything else on top of that is is uh, an added bonus so wow yeah but it's, it's more about knowing the right people over here i think than it is about marketing it's a very different world to america from an architectural point of view um i see a lot on um online um from the forums that are about on facebook in america particularly where people are constantly contacted by people who want or architects are contacted by people who want plans redrawn and things like that. I see that a lot. It doesn't happen. I've never had that happen to me. I've never had someone come to me and say, can you redraw my plans? Is that right? Um, yeah, never. Not in 20, 20 years has anyone come to me and asked me to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, everyone wants over here, they go, okay, I want to hire a designer or an architect to design something for me. Um, it's, a, it's a little bit, I don't know whether it's the same for everybody here, but that's how it's, it, it's been for me. Um, everyone who's come to me for a design has come to me because someone has told them to come and talk to me about getting a project done. So I wanted to next move to your passing interest, <laughs> as I mentioned earlier in <laughs> astronomy and you've, I mentioned you created a podcast. What yeah. got you first interested in astronomy? Um, my son. <laughs> Is that right? Uh, yeah, so everyone thinks that uh, I got him into astronomy, but it's actually the other way around. Um, he, when he was about, so my son's a bit of an extraordinary young man. Um, a little bit of his journey. Um, so Blake has autism. He's uh, high functioning. So he's a very smart kid. Um, he's just not very good at making friends. Um, and But he started showing a very, very keen interest in astronomy when he was about eight years old, uh, to the point that uh, it was almost, well, it's an obsession. Um, and he, we bought him a telescope uh, and he, uh, he loved it. And so we joined him up to the Astronomical Society of Victoria. Uh, he went along to juniors. So the first time he went to juniors, he sat on my lap, facing me, didn't want to listen, uh, didn't because he was just all these new people. He's like, this is too much. Um, a year later, he was presenting talks on astron- astronomy to um, the entire society um, at the monthly meetings. Uh, and since then, he's gone on to have his own website, his own Facebook page, uh, and he does, work in, he does work in the field of spectroscopy. So he takes visual spectrum of stars and works out chemical compositions using programs. Uh, and his current project that he's trying to work on but can't get the right equipment yet is to do a visual spectrum of galaxies so he can work out its rotational velocity, so how fast it's spinning. And he's 14 years old. Um, and in the last four years, he's been lucky enough to, I don't know if you know, you'll, everyone will remember the Apollo 11 mission, the lunar lander, landing sure. on the moon. Some of those signals came from Parks Radio Observatory in New South Wales. Um it's a massive dish, big dish. Blake's actually controlled that. Um, he's worked with um, some astrophysics departments at two different universities, um, hunting for things called fast radio bursts, so helping them sift through data. So that's where my passion for astronomy came from. <laughs> so he's he's rubbed off it. on you. He's rubbed off on me. And now I'm the vice president of the Astronomical Society of Victoria. I help... Uh, coordinate, create, and run all of their events, uh, whether they're in person or online. At the moment, they're all online. So I host all of the live streams. Um, and I just love sharing astronomy 
with everyone just to see how my son grew because of his passion for astronomy and and the fact that people gave him a chance and helped him now i want to i want to do the same thing for others um so we've been it has been a big push for uh turning our site which is the no one else can see it you can see it. the image behind my my screen is the site that we go to for astronomy um it's unsafe for disabled people so if you're in a wheelchair if you've got mobility issues you can't go to that site because there's no paths um, so one of the projects i've been working on with them for the last two years is putting um wheelchair accessible pathways around the site and we're also building a wheelchair accessible telescope which changes height um, with the eyepiece is static um, but depending upon the height of the wheelchair, you can adjust the, the eyepiece to suit and you don't have to climb up a ladder to look through the telescope, um, which with big scopes you do. So all these are all things that um, I'm using my skills in design and documentation to, to bring to the Astronomy Club. And, um, yeah, we're doing fundraising for it. I think uh, we've raised, um, my wife and I have raised, with the help of others in the club, about $25,000 for it, for all this stuff through um, all of the live streams we've done, um, raffles and all sorts of things. So it's a big part of my world um, when I'm not working uh, and it's fun. It's very enjoyable. Um, I love doing the live streams. I love doing the in-person hosting. Um, I, I have said to all of the guys in the club, look, I, I enjoy the hosting, but I'm not, the smart person so i need you guys to work with me and i'll host and you guys can tell everybody about all the amazing facts about what we're looking at um and and it works well um i think one of our largest streams had seventy thousand people watching which was quite amazing wow that's incredible congratulations so all of that and then you decide to do a podcast about it as well tell me a little bit more about the podcast well that one came about because of lockdown. Uh -huh. I can't go anywhere. I can't do anything. And I don't like sitting still. Um, uh, I have ADHD, so I like to, I, I've got to be active. I can't sit in one spot. I, I just, I get very bored um, and I become angry and it's not good for anybody. Um, so I need to occupy myself, which is why I have so many things on, why I do so many things. Um, and... <laughs> Recently, I, I actually had a sleep test um, and the doctors were shocked that I got all of my sleep done in three hours. That's it. So like three or four hours of sleep, that's it. That's all I need. Um, it was quite surprising. And um, so I've got all this awake time. I don't go to bed until two, after two in the morning and I'm up at seven, 7.30, I'm awake. Um, and I've got all this time to use. I'm like, what am I going to do? I can't go anywhere. I can't even go hiking um, and I just started corresponding with an astrophysicist to try and get her to become the um, the ambassador for our society, for Astronomy Club. Uh, I, being on the committee and vice president, I was, I was like, okay, I need to do something good other than the other stuff I'm doing. I, we need to promote women in STEM. So we need a female ambassador. So I just started talking to this astrophysicist that I, I had um, had some passing conversations with some time back. Uh, and convinced her to come on board as our female ambassador to promote women in STEM. Um, from that, we managed to get every speaker from July this year to the end of the year to be female speakers for our monthly monthly talks. And then the discussion, the discussion sort of veered towards 
live streaming and coming on live streams with us. So she started coming on live streams. And then all of a sudden we just started joking about this idea. What if we did a podcast, you know? Um, and we're kind of like, so uh, I did a show back in 2012 called Craft Beer Crusaders. It's a TV show on local TV about craft beer, which is another passion. Um, and the way I looked at doing that was you need one really smart person and you need one goofy, buffoon, foolish, not so, not so, I won't say not so smart, but someone who doesn't understand everything there is about the topic that you're discussing, who just enjoys it. And they play off each, those sort of characters play off each other well. So she's the astrophysicist and I'm just what we call the drunk astronomer. <laughs> um, I'm just the guy who sits in the backyard and has a beer and looks up at the sky and takes photos of it with his phone. Uh, and it works well. Uh, we play off each other very well and, and we just decided, well, let's give it a go. Um, and our first podcast released about two weeks ago after months of working out how we we're going to do it and then recording it. And not a lot of listens, but we're excited that we've had 80 people listen to it. We think that's pretty cool for a first that's great. episode. Yeah, and the second absolutely. one dropped last night and we've had a dozen people down, already listened to that one. So it's all fun. Um, we, we don't take it too seriously. There's a lot of, lot of um, bad dad jokes and in there and a lot of lighthearted humour, but a lot of information. Uh, we have a section in there called Shit You Should Know. Um, so it's just about the very basic things in astronomy that everybody should just know, but we don't because we don't bother thinking about it. Um, so, yeah. I'll make sure there's a link in the show notes to the podcast as well. Or if people are looking for it, they can find it there. <laughs> it's a pretty cool name. It's, um, what is it? It's, it's spaghettification, stretching your understanding of the universe because you get past the point of event horizon near a black hole and you go into the black hole and you get what they call spaghettified, you get stretched um, to the point where you see, you get so close to the black hole that you'll be able to see the back of your own head because you've been stretched around. It's, <laughs> so we thought we'll play off that. We'll go spaghettification, stretching your understanding of the universe. So that's a bit of a fun name. So. I love it. That's so creative. Hey, let's take a quick short break. And after we're going to explore a little bit more about your experience with the Mac and other Apple products right after this. How do you manage your firm? Are you using dated and clunky software? Are you frustrated using spreadsheets and never really getting a clear view of the status of your projects? Then I'm happy you're listening because inside the Apple Studio sponsor Monograph can help. Designed by architects for architects, Monograph allows you to track your time, your projects, and your budgets, and you can do it all in real time. They have a feature called Money Gant, and with this awesome tool, you can immediately see whether you are under or over budget on a project, along with their new tool, Resource, which allows you to reallocate your team's time and track its impact on your remaining budget. You can easily adjust your projects on a week-to-week -week basis. Monograph makes this easy. So help support Inside the Apple Studio by checking out Monograph at monograph.com. Be proactive with Monograph. Welcome back, Mark. Now you've shared a, quite an interesting journey of becoming a licensed architect that you're currently on. Now let's discuss a little bit about how you started using a Mac and other Apple products. How were you first exposed to the Mac? And what was your first Mac that you used or, or owned? 
So I remember people having those lovely colourful Macs in the late 90s, uh, early 2000s. Um, never really used one. Was always PC, PC, PC because that's how I was raised. Um, when I grew up, we always had personal computers. We also had, always had desktop computers. Um, we always pulled them apart and built them and wired them all together and uh, and things like that. And I never really got exposed to Apple products at all. Um, but when I started my business back in 2006, I started using um, laptops because I didn't have an office and I was always working from different places. I would go to the pub and work or I'd go to a cafe and sit and do work or go to a client's house and have a meeting and take it with me. And I had solid state hard drives because I knew that I needed to make sure that the drives didn't fail. And I knew that normal laptops with normal drives would have a lot more problems. Um, But even though I had solid state hard drives, every single laptop I bought failed, no matter how much I spent on it. (laughs) something would go wrong with it and at one stage i went through um six laptops that had hard drive um, and hardware issues in six months and i just i'm like i can't keep doing this this is ridiculous these things just aren't um they're just not good enough um and so i thought you know what no i'm going to get a mac so the very first mac i got was an imac i went and bought a 27 inch screen imac Mm -hmm. Um, which I still got today. Um, my son uses it now, and that was my first foray into Mac. And I tried Boot Camp because I, you know, I thought I needed to have everything on Windows still for the programs I was running, and then found out that Boot Camp does nothing but slow your beautiful Mac down. So <laughs> um, I found programs to use that I could use on Mac, and realised that AutoCAD worked on Mac. Didn't realise that it did before that, and um, Ever since then, so that would have been about 2010. So for the last 11 years, I've had Macs. I've had, so we've got two iMacs. Uh, we've got two MacBooks in this house, uh, one MacBook Air and one MacBook Pro. Um, my son's got an iPhone. Um, my wife's got an iPhone. I had two iPhones. I don't have one anymore. Um, but I'm sure you'll ask me about that soon. We're going to get um, to every, it. Yeah, everything in this house is, except for my phone, is Apple product, either MacBooks or iMacs or iPhones uh, or iPads. Uh, and, in fact, I can probably say this now because by the time you, this airs, it will be my daughter's birthday. She's very creative like me, um, very artistic, loves drawing and uh, sketching. And so for her birthday, she's getting uh, an iPad with an Apple pen um, that she can use a program called Procreate and she can sketch and create and become a graphic designer because that's what she wants to be. Oh, that's Um, awesome. So more Apple products coming into this house in the next two weeks. Okay. That sounds great. So you mentioned AutoCAD. So you moved from PC using AutoCAD to Mac using AutoCAD. And it's so much better. (laughs) Tell me about AutoCAD for Mac. Um, the user interface, I feel, I feel like it's, I mean, it's been so long since I saw AutoCAD on a PC, but it feels smoother. Um, it's less, it feels less clunky. Um, I don't know what it is. Something about Apple is that everything just feels like it's easy to use. Um, I'm not a technical guy when it comes to programs and programming and, and things like that. And, and Apple just makes life so much easier from that point of view. Um, it's so much easier to install. Um, 
and everything just runs smoothly in the background. Um, There's no clunkiness. Something about PCs I always felt was very clunky Um, and it was very hard to set the systems up and set things up, whereas with the the Mac, it's just user-friendly is what I would say. Um, And I've had, what does it say? So I've had two iMacs. Now, this is my second, um, and it is now five years old. Um, and it was the only, it, this Mac in particular is the only time any Apple product I've had had a problem. And even then, uh, I took it back to the store and they replaced everything inside it. Nice. And then gave it back to me. And then there was still an issue with it. So I took it back and then they replaced everything again at no cost. Like, so it's essentially now a three-year-old computer um, in there. And that's the other thing about the reason I love Apple is because their customer service is just outstanding. Um, Any time I've ever had a a software issue with one of my old phones, you take it down and they just fix it on the spot. And if they couldn't fix it, they swap it for a brand new one and say, here you go, here's a replacement because it's under warranty. Um, You don't get that sort of service from other companies. Um, You know, when I used to have, HP laptops and things like that, you would have to send it away for two weeks and wait for them to come back to you and say, oh, we can't fix that. And then you've lost two weeks of no computer because they wouldn't give you a replacement. Um, Whereas Apple would go, give us 24 hours. Uh, We can't fix that. Here's a whole new one. Or give us three days and we'll replace the parts and hand it back to you. Um, The service was just so much better. Um, That's the other reason I really like Apple's. I'll never, ever go away from Apple products when it comes to computers um, and tablets and things like that. I just I can't see myself ever using another, another, another computer. Well, I noticed you've got some really great photos on your website, but you also have some nice renderings. I'm curious, what do you use to create those renderings? Um, can I be honest here and say I don't do the renderings myself? <laughs> what I do is I extrude them all in SketchUp. So I use SketchUp on my iMac and I get them all looking the way I want them to look. And then um, I send them out to a, um, a company that uh, then just runs them through their rendering software. Um, rendering, 3D rendering, 3D modeling is not, or 3D rendering is not something that um, I have great skills in. Uh, it's an area that I need to learn and improve in. Um, but I do all of the extra. So I, I run all of my projects. I model them. So I build them in 2D and AutoCAD. I know it's a bit slow and clunky from that point of view. And then extrude them in SketchUp out into 3D to show the clients. Um, and then when the project's ready to go to planning and I want to put it on the website, um, I send it out to a company that um, does the 3D renderings from my SketchUp model. Um, so I don't push, I don't push my Mac hard on the AutoCAD side of things. I push my Mac hard more on the astronomy side of things um, than anything. So I have some astrophotography programs, um, one called Astro Pixel Processor that um, I can load in 60 or 70 images taken in raw format on my phone into this program and let it run and it stacks them all on top of each other um, to make the image clearer, crisper, deeper. Um, And then I use Photoshop to process those images um, and for the podcast, you know, I've got uh, Adobe Premiere and Adobe Audition that I use on the Mac. So um, anything that I do myself, whether it's astronomy, astrophotography, 
architecture, um, podcasting, live streaming is all run off the Mac, off programs off the Mac. Um, but my 3D renderings, as I said, I get them to the SketchUp point and then I apply my materials of what the materials I want on there and then I send it out for somebody else to do because they'd be much quicker than I am um, and therefore much more cost-effective, time-efficient. Um, it's just not an area I have the skills in. Well, and you're being more productive that way. Yes. Yep. I'm curious, what other applications or services do you use to manage how you practice, how you manage your business? Um, so program-wise, I really only use three programs. So I use Word on, um, on, on Mac. Um, I have Adobe, obviously I've got an Adobe Creative Cloud license for all of my programs that I use for Adobe, the PDF um, editing and things like that. But really it's just a file management system in um, Finder. Uh, I have my projects set up under project numbers um, in you know, ascending order. Uh, and then under that I have uh, subfolders for CAD files, render files, the Word documents, PDFs, uh, archives. So just it's just a, a filing system as such. Um, and it works, it's always worked really well. Uh, it's always, always been clean and quick and easy to find files that I'm working on that I need to work on. If someone emails me and says, I need to, a copy of this particular file from this particular date, I can quite easily find it through um, that filing system that I created. Uh, I never had it until I got the Mac and then I just started working that way, um, started setting everything up clean. So that's pretty much all I use. I use Word to do my quotes. Um, how about for time tracking or accounting? Uh, I don't time track at all. No, no, not at all. Um, people will probably find that really weird that I don't time track. Um, but because it's just me, I don't necessarily need to time track. Um, I've been doing it so long now that I know how long a project's going to take me to do. So I've got four townhouses that I'm working on at the moment doing construction drawings on. And, and I know I can smash out a set of, high-quality, detailed construction drawings on that. They're probably around about 25A1 pages, that one will be. And I can get that done in a week and a half. So I know what my hourly rate would be for a week and a, for, for, for an hour's worth of work, and then I can just extrapolate that out for that project. Okay. Um, and so most of it's in my head, <laughs> which is not, not great from a, most people's practice point of view. But as I said, I don't have staff. I don't have a big practice. It's just me. Uh, and I guess after all of these years of doing what I do, I know what each project is worth to me and what how much time it's going to take me. So I can go, okay, well, I know that four-unit project is going to take me about a week and a half to document. So based on my rate, it's X amount of dollars. That's my fixed price. And then if they need anything changed from that, well, it's just a very hefty, hefty. Um, and I'm, when I say hefty, I mean it's two and a half times my hourly rate for changes. Um, and that forces them to never change anything. <laughs> um, sometimes they do, but yeah, uh, it's just, I guess it's a matter of experience. That one, that one is really, for me, it's experience. So like I said, I just know how long each type of project is going to take me. Um, so I price a fixed price based on that. Um, and it seems to, uh, to be working really well in particular in the last, as I said, since lockdown hit, uh, since COVID hit, it really has worked extremely well. 
um, to do it that way. Initially, it was a bit hard because, you know, for the first four or five years, sometimes I would do a project a lot quicker and be great. Well, I've made a lot more money on that one. And some projects would drag right out and you would lose money on them. Um, but as the years have gone, I've sort of refined that process uh, and, you know, I, I now have a pretty good understanding of, of depending upon the size of a project, how long it's going to take, what I'm going to need to do, and then I can go, okay, well, based on that, here's my rate. Yes, no, let's go. Um, so no programs. I used to use a program online, um, Hubstaff, I think it was, uh, something like that. And um, I didn't really... I didn't get a lot out of it. I found that I was forget. So that, that's the other thing. The way I work is, is saying, hey, having ADHD, I jump from one thing to another all the time. Um, so trying to remember to stop and pause the timer on that one and start it on that one and then go back to what I was trying to do, I will have forgotten what, what I was going to do. Um, so I, I did try, try a lot of time tracking or time management stuff, but I found I was getting more confused and forgetting to even start the timer or stop the timer. Um, so I've kind of, um, I've done a lot of growing in the last two years to the point that um, I, I, I now just accept that that's how I work. Um, so that, that's how my, my brain goes. That's how I work. So I just roll with that. Uh, I don't think I could work in a practice with anybody else because I would be very bad at time management. Um, for, from their point of view, um, that, uh, they, they probably wouldn't be happy with how I do things. But it works for me. Um, and, yeah. Let's talk a little bit about being an Android user and using an Android phone. Why an Android phone? Um, because so the last Apple phone I had was, a, a, was it 8, I think it was. Eight? I think it was an 8. Not sure now. Um, oh, no, it was an iPhone 7. There you go. And we'd go up to the astronomy site and I would put the phone up to the eyepiece of the very big telescopes that we have up there and I'd take photos of Jupiter and Saturn and the moon. And then one night I just thought, I wonder if I can take a photo of this nebula that we're looking at. So nebula is like a gas, gaseous cloud in, in, in the Milky Way um, where all stars are all born, basically. Um and I kind of could just get it in the photo. And I'm like, my Apple phone doesn't allow me to take timed exposures. And none of the apps I could download would allow me to do it. I couldn't change ISO settings. I couldn't. So it was like having a, a digital SLR with no features, which was very frustrating because I wanted to take um, nighttime images of the Milky Way. I wanted to take photos of galaxies. I wanted, I wanted to try and do that with a phone. And the Apple phones at that particular time um, didn't have them. And I think maybe one of, some of the more recent ones do, but I couldn't afford them. <laughs> I couldn't afford the money to buy the, um, the probably the most recent Apple phones. So I'm like, okay, well, I need a new phone and I want one that will allow me to take timed exposures and I want to buy it outright because I don't want to put it on a plan. And what, what, what choices have I got? And the, I can never say this word right, but the Huawei P30 Lite cost me about $300 outright. And then the, I think the, what's the most recent iPhone? So in Australia, it's about $1,400, $1,300. So it's a lot more expensive. And I don't have that sort of disposable cash to throw away on a phone. 
So I got that this one and it allows me to do timed exposures. Um, so I can do 30 second exposures. I can change the ISO setting. I can take them in raw, raw format. Um, and then I can plug them into my Apple Mac, my iMac and download them from my iMac onto my iMac and then process them on my iMac. So I'm blending the two together. Um, but uh, I have a, um, what is it? A, I have a, a, a Flickr account where I put all, put all my images um, and I'm now taking stacked images of things like um, Carina Nebula or Orion Nebula um, with my phone, which I couldn't do with an iPhone, with my old iPhone. Um, and so the only, the real reason that I went Android was so that I could do these expo time exposed shots um, and because I couldn't afford an Apple, the Apple version that could do it. Yeah, it makes sense. Yeah. Otherwise, I would absolutely still have an Apple phone because <laughs> I love them. Um, yeah. I've ne never had a problem with any of my Apple phones. Uh, and it's literally because this thing was cheap and did what I wanted it to do. The only reason. So. How is it integrating your the rest of your life with that Android phone? It doesn't. And it's painful. <laughs> it's absolutely <laughs> painful. People send me... Um, I messages and I don't get them or they'll send a group message to me to me, like a group text message. And when you send a group text message to Apple, you can just reply all to everybody and everybody gets it. I get the group message. And if I send it back to everyone, they get separate messages from me and they're like, what that, what do you want about? What do you, it doesn't relate to anything they've sent me. It doesn't send it back to the group. It sends it individually to each of these people. Um, so what it's done is it's forced me to use messenger a lot more. <laughs> Because at least that works across the platforms. Um, I found that, that that's a massive problem. Um, you know, we're also looking at getting um, what's the Apple, the music, the pot, the sound pod or whatever it is. I can't think of the name of it now. Oh, the HomePod. Kind of like the Google HomePod. They're going to get an Apple one. Yeah, we're getting one of those for Christmas. Um, everyone in the house could hook onto it except for me. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. Yeah. So it is frustrating from that point of view. Um, so hopefully the cost of iPhones drops in Australia a bit, or you know maybe I might buy a second-hand one um, in a year's time and get back into iPhone. As long as I can do my exposures and get my app going on it, that's fine. I'll be happy with that, and then I'll be back on iPhone. So it's a, it's a temporary deviation from Apple products from a phone point of view, and only because um, being stuck at home. Like I said, it's, this is all caused from lockdown <laughs> um, because we can't go anywhere. Uh, so I can take my telescope in the backyard and I can attach my phone to it and it gets me away from um, the stresses of being locked down, not being able to. So at the moment, at the moment we're only allowed to go 15 kilometres from our house, which is better than the 10 kilometres it was a few days ago. Um, but case numbers are pretty high here now. Um, and, you know, restrictions are still on, you know, we still can't see family, we still can't see friends, wow. um, all that sort of stuff. Uh, none of the shops are open. Um, I can't go out to the bush because I can't go more than 15 kilometres, so I can't go hiking. Uh, and this was my escape from the world. Um, so going into the backyard to do astronomy with my phone was an escape and the iPhone couldn't let me do what I wanted it to do. Um, the becoming a bit of a big thing in the world of astronomy, taking images of nebula and galaxies and star clusters and planets with phones and processing them as if you're using high-grade 
astronomy equipment. So I know guys that have spent, you know, 20 or 30,000 Australian dollars on astronomy equipment. And I have a $300 phone, a $10 phone holder, and a second-hand telescope that costs us a thousand bucks. And I'm doing stuff that's as good as what they're doing with with that. Um, and if I could do that with my with an Apple phone that it was cost-effective enough for me, I would absolutely do it. Well, hopefully you can pick up a iPhone 11 or 12. They're dropping the price on those as the newer phones come out, and they they have a lot of capabilities. But I'm curious. Is there a specific app that you're using to take these photos on the Huawei phone? There is. It's called Deep Sky. Um, it's called Deep Sky Camera, um, and I'm pretty sure it's not on. Um, it's an. I'm pretty sure it's an Android only app at the moment. Um, but the only reason I'm using that app is because the P30 Lite doesn't allow you to manually capture raw data i can do iso settings and timer settings with it but it's all in jpeg format um which means they're only like nine or ten meg images whereas the raw data files on this uh you know 47 meg per photo um which is a lot more information a lot more data and the camera on this is uh uh, i think it's a a blue yellow yellow green so it's almost like an astrophotography camera in its how its um colors and pixels are set up Okay. Um, so that's the other thing. Um, but, yeah, look, the moment that I can get an iPhone that takes raw data images, I will be back with an iPhone. There's no doubt about that. Um, well, I, I wanted to ask you one last question here about the, or actually I'm going to ask you two. The first one being, what advice would you give listeners if they're considering using a Mac to practice architecture? See, I always wanted to learn Revit, but I can't. <laughs> Because Revit's not on on Mac. So that's one thing I would say. Be aware that there are some CAD programs that won't run on Mac. And if you're using Revit, you're going to have to boot camp. And I'm not, as I said earlier, I'm not a fan of boot camp. Um, And I know they probably won't ever bring Revit onto Mac. I wish they would because I'd really love to use it. But there are other 3D CAD programs that will run on on Mac. Um, And uh, uh, the other one is make sure you, you get, if you're going to buy a Mac, um, the only thing that I regret with the one I bought at the moment is when I bought it, I probably should have got more memory put in it. So that's something I'm going to be doing in the next two to three months is tripling the memory in this. And then I'll have a Mac that will last me another five or six years before I need to replace it because processing speed-wise, it does perfectly fine with all of the programs. There's no, no lag in AutoCAD, no lag in SketchUp. Um, the only time I have lag is in the astrophotography program because it uses a lot of CPU processing speed, a lot of power um, to do what it's going to do. So having some more memory might help, will help that. But um, that's probably the two big ones is you can't use Revit and just make sure you get a lot of memory on it. Um, I don't do what I didn't and just go, oh, that'll do. A gig will do. <laughs> I should have got 16 to start with or maybe even 32. And that's what I'm going to in the next few months, upgrade it to about 32. And, and then I'll have a, a nice fast computer again. Um, but even then, it's not slow. I mean, I, as I said, I, I host live streams for hours on end um, with this and it doesn't have a problem. Um, they're very sturdy computers. Um, very reliable. Very reliable. Yeah. yeah. Well, I appreciate you sharing your Apple and Mac experience and 
a little bit of Android experience as well with, <laughs> with that phone. But before we wrap this section of the show up, I want you to share with the audience one app or utility or service that you find most useful. Uh, on um, on my Mac? Yeah. Well, look, I love Adobe Cloud on my Mac. I really do. Um, yeah, and I love uh, being able to edit PDFs through Adobe Acrobat um, and uh, being able to process my images with Photoshop uh, on the Mac. Um, so Adobe Cloud would be a program or I guess a service that... Um, really integrates well with the Mac, um, not just from my work point of view, but from my hobby point of view as well. Um, so it's just, it's a beautiful program that integrates, I think, better on Mac than it does on PC um, because of it's it's user, user-friendly um, and Macs are user-friendly as well. So they, they just seem to integrate really well. Um, and... All of their programs, all of the Adobe Suite programs, run so smoothly on my on my computer. Um, so that that'd that be one. All right. Well, thanks for sharing. Well, now let's move on to our final segment, the ten questions. And the first question is, what's your favorite word? <laughs> um, well, my favorite word would be astrophotography. Um, a bit of a new word that uh, some friends and I have coined because of the work that I do. They all have, as I said, they, they're all got the fancy astronomy equipment and I'm doing stuff that's as good as them with my phone. So we termed the coin astrophotography. Um, so it's flavour of the month at the moment um, because it goes a long way to explaining what I do um, from a hobby point of view. What's your least favourite word? I don't really have one. Like um, I don't really have a least favorite word. Okay. Um, never thought about a, a word that I don't like. What turns you on creatively, spiritually, or emotionally? Teaching, teaching people, sharing knowledge. Uh, I love whether it's um, architecture, whether it's uh, astronomy, no matter what it is, I just love sharing knowledge with people and helping and guiding people. So in the world of architecture, that developer that I work with, he has a young building designer who's studying architecture. Um, and uh, so I'm training him, well, not training him, I guess I'm guiding him um, and assisting him in his growth. And I really enjoy that. Um, a friend of mine uh, who did the course with me he's finished the course but he was doing it full-time pretty much um he learned, he likes to run things past me as well I, I enjoy mentoring him and helping him on his journey in a world of architecture astronomy side of things with my son um and that's what i love about doing these events that i do is just sharing what i get to see through telescopes with other people who may not have telescopes and the fact that when we do these live streams we are live stacking images of galaxies and nebula live on screen from telescopes pointed at the sky and discussing them and teaching people about them. Um, people have never looked through a telescope before all of a sudden seeing a galaxy appear on their computer screen or their YouTube TV. Um, I just love sharing um, and exploring, love to explore, which is why I love hiking. Um, and anytime I go somewhere 
Uh, even if I've been there before, I will go a different way so I can find new places I've never been before and see new things. So, uh, And all of that feeds back into the work that I do with my architecture. It all gives me um, inspiration for new ideas or new ways of doing things. And never, if I ever get stuck on something, it, it reminds me to sort of take a step back on a project and go, okay, like I do when I go hiking or go for a drive in a bush, maybe I should look at it from a different angle or go and, and attack it from a different path that I haven't looked at before. And then usually I find a solution. So what turns you off? Um, Close-minded people. <laughs> people not willing to um, push their boundaries um, because you don't grow as, I don't think you grow as a person if you're not willing to push your, your own limits, if you're not willing to step outside of your comfort zone um, so there's a, a YouTube channel that uh, I watch quite a lot with the family. It's called Seek Discomfort. Um, there are um, American guys. Um, actually, one's Canadian, one's French, and one's American, and one's Egyptian. But they all lived in America, all live in America, and they got this show called Seek Discomfort. Uh, and the whole idea of what they do is push themselves and others outside of their comfort zones so that they can learn and grow as people. Um, and you know, the whole what if. Um, now, I've had I had people say to me when I said, oh, I'm going to do a podcast. They're like, oh, why would you do that? Like, you know, it's not going to go anywhere. And I'm like, but what if it does? What if it does? Um, you know, what if the work I'm doing with this developer turns into um, me doing something I've never done before? And it did. I started working on aged care facilities, which I've never worked on before. And now all of a sudden I am. And it's a really interesting part of um, building architecture to work in. Um, so, yeah, I just like the I don't like people who aren't, not that I don't like them, I just don't like the idea of not pushing my own boundaries or people pushing their boundaries um, because you can learn so much and you can grow so quickly. What sound or noise do you love? I love the sound of a needle dropping on a record. I have a very extensive record collection um, and some days I will listen to eight hours worth of vinyl while I'm working. Um, and I just love the sound of that needle hitting it and that little clunky sound that you get. It's a very tactile sound. Um, people, um, my own brother says to me, I don't know why you, you, you know, you know, you could just get iTunes or Spotify. And I'm like, yeah, but then I'm not, but, you know, you don't get that tactile of putting the record on and turning the record over. But I, I really love that sound. What sound or noise do you hate? The birds in the morning chirping. <laughs> I know it's an odd one, but there's some birds that live in the nest in the uh, out in our backyard, and at six o'clock in the morning, they are noisy and disruptive, and it's a horrible sound. <laughs> a horrible, horrible sound. That's fine when I'm out hiking and I can hear the birds chirping. That's fine, but at six o'clock in the morning, um, when I'm just waking up, it's a noise that I really don't want to hear over and over and over again. What's your favourite curse word? Well, I'm Australian, so Aussies love their use of slang and I don't think I could use the curse word that um, Aussies use. <laughs> you, you can use um, it and I'll bleep it out. <laughs> all right. So in Australia, if someone's not your friend, you'll often call them, you know, if you're having an argument with someone, you go, oi, mate, you know, hey, mate. And that's like more often than not that'll be, um, you sort of getting your back up and saying, you know, you, you, we, I don't like what you're doing. 
Um, whereas, you know, it's a bit of a, a bit of an Aussie colloquialism, I guess, is that if you then turn around to someone and say, oh, you can't get me a beer, that's actually a term of endearment in Australia. <laughs> and I know it's like it's a really horrible word, but over here, like, you'll call your best, you'll call your closest mates that word. Like, you actually will. And most people won't take offence to it because it's just an Aussie thing. Um, we're a bit weird. We're a bit weird. You guys have flip-flops. We have thongs. Um, you know, thongs aren't something that you wear as underwear. They're, they're things you wear <laughs> on your feet. Um, yeah, things like that. Um, <laughs> well, when I grew up, they were called thongs as well. <laughs> the things you put on your feet, that is. Yes, yeah. But and, and every time I say thongs to people in America, most of them go, oh, you mean flip-flops? I'm like, no, 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 they're thongs. <laughs> Well, when we're talking, it, it's you can say thongs. It, it works. Yeah. So that that that, that word, was, um, I say it's a favorite curse word. I don't really have a favorite curse word, but that's one that makes me smile a lot because it's just such an Aussie thing. Um, yeah. So, what profession other than your own would you like to attempt? Um, well, I'm attempting it now. I actually am attempting, and that's part of that seeking discomfort, pushing me, myself out of the boundaries, um, hosting live streams and hosting events and doing event management, coming up with with those sort of ideas and, and um, you know, running a podcast, those sort of things. I guess um, not so much media, but um, I don't know what you would term the online media, I guess, um, pushing myself into that world of online media. Um, and it's something I'm attempting now. And as I said, it's come about because I've got so much downtime at the moment being in lockdown. So it's given me an opportunity to, to pursue those, those activities and it's enjoyable and it's actually working. What profession would you not like to do? I would not like to be a doctor. I have a client who is a doctor and he doesn't want to be a doctor anymore. Um, it's not a, It's not a fun profession to be into based on the hours of work that he has to do uh, and how it impacts him and how it makes him feel, I, I would not want to to, uh, to have that job. I, I, I have a huge amount of respect for doctors, but it, it is a job that I, I would never want to do. If heaven exists, what would you like to hear God say when you arrive at the pearly gates? What would I like? Um, Oh, I'd just like him to, he doesn't have to say anything really, just thumbs up and hand me a beer. <laughs> so here you go, have a can of beer. That's an excellent answer. He doesn't have to say anything. Mark, I'd like to thank you for joining me on this episode of Inside the Apple Studio. Please let the listeners know where they can find you online and the best way to contact you to learn more about what you do. Well, if they want to know about architecture and what I'm doing in my work, it's maddenbuildinggroup.com.au. If they're interested in my podcasting, it's uh, spaghettification.com.au. Well, there'll be links to both of those in the show notes if you're looking for them, especially on the uh, spaghetti. Oh, I can't even say it. Spaghetti. (laughs) Spaghetti Spaghettification. There it is. Spaghetti (laughs) vacation. (laughs) Thank you again, Mark, for joining me. No worries. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to Inside the Apple Studio. I'd like to thank Monograph for their support. 
You can also support the show by telling a friend and show them how to follow it in their favorite podcast player. If you have comments on the show, you can find me on Twitter at N-P-A-N-N or at Apple for Arc. That's Apple, F-O-R-A-R-C-H. You can also comment on the Apple for Architects Facebook page and join the Apple for Architects Facebook group. Inside the Apple Studio is a production of Apple for Architects at appleforarchitects.com.